This episode of Fuel for the Soul is powered by ASICS. Head over to ASICS.com and sign up for a one ASICS account. It's completely free, and when you sign up, you'll receive 10% off your first purchase. You'll also gain access to exclusive colorways on ASICS.com, free standard shipping, special birthday month discounts, and more. Hi, this is Thomas with Believe in the Run. And this is Megan with Believe in the Run. And this is Megan with Featherstone Nutrition. A.K.A. Feathers. You're listening to Fuel for the Soul, the podcast where we talk all things hydration and nutrition and how it affects performance. And today we are talking all about ferritin. But before we get into that, I just want to say, you know what I love about where we are in marathon training right now? The peak. This is where I feel... Like if I could always feel like this, this is a scary thing because you can't maintain this kind of level of activity. But this is where I feel like the summer has bronzed my body. The, the, as much weight as I'm going to shed has come off. The dehydration and gets you a little bit of a cut. Like this is where I feel like 100% me. Like if I could bottle this and say, okay, I'll cruise this out for the rest of my life. This is it. But I know right after the marathon, I inflate with liquids and donuts and it's just over really quick but right now i'm basking in it how about you ladies you know a lot of people don't love like a lot of people are tired at this point and they're over the training but i'm i'm with you i love the full-on high mileage grind that's the paces are getting really hard you're like just about ready for that taper i'm ready to Uh, argue all the time I think this is why we get along. I feel the exact same way. Like, I love this part of training. Like, I yeah. it, I look forward to hard long runs more than the race. You know, like See, the race, there's yeah. all like the what ifs, the anxiety, the weather. But right. like, I love the actual grind of training. Yeah. See, I think that's the difference. There's two kinds of people. There's people that like to race and, and see what they can do on race day. And there's people who like to train. I am a trainer. I love a reason to get up in the morning, the pressure, the hey, you better go do your workouts because you're going to have to, like, I'm, I cut back on alcohol this week. <laughs> I mean, it's... What? What, gonna, what did you just say? <laughs> yeah, I don't want to say, say it too loud. Um, anyway, but yeah, th- this is the fun part of training, but this is also going to play right into our topic. This is also when you're going to notice the effects of iron and ferritin on your workouts. Like, I feel like I almost peaked a week ago and then this week, I, granted, we were in Swamp, Florida. Like, I love Amelia Island. It's beautiful. I got to say that. But to run in, it's hard. It's wet. Yeah. It's moist. It's hot. And Well, I, especially in August, it's literally the hottest time yeah, of the year down I, there. If, if mm-hmm. my 20-mile run this past weekend, if that was to boost my confidence for the London Marathon, uh, it did not. Well... Luckily, the temps are changing, although not as quickly as I'd like. Um, But let's talk about our big topic today, ferritin, which we know is iron or related to iron. Megan, explain how all of this works. I think most most runners have at least heard, like, I should know my ferritin. And I've been getting so many questions about this. I was actually going to do a freaking two Friday post on this. And I totally was like, divert. We're going to do a whole podcast on this because there are so many questions and so many little tidbits of information that I think people don't know that might be helpful. So here we are. So um, 
you know, when we look at iron storage, right, we know that we need a certain amount of iron in our body because that's what's carrying the oxygen to our muscles. So I think most people are aware that if we don't have enough iron in our body, that we can't hold the same paces, we don't recover as quickly, we're more fatigued, we feel like we have heavy, tired legs. Like, I mean, I think, Meg, you're a perfect example. Like, when your ferritin is high, you're, like, freaking sore pace-wise. And when yours starts to drop, like, you always feel it. And you're, you're slower. And you struggle. Like, I think your, your progression is, like, an amazing example of all of this. So I think a lot of people are walking around and don't even realize yet that their body doesn't have enough iron, right? So we're starting to figure out, okay, how do we test this? How do we measure this? So most people realize we need to make sure that we're checking a ferritin, which ferritin is actually the storage protein of iron in our body. But there's a lot of other things that we can look at to get a better picture of what our iron status, quote unquote, is. We want to know ferritin, but we want to know a lot of other stuff too. So when we think about just looking at a ferritin all by itself, there's a lot of things that can impact that. So ferritin is an acute phase reactant protein, which means if we're under stress, if we're overtraining, if we're sick, if we've had COVID recently, all those things are going to make our ferritin look falsely high. So somebody could come back and be like, I got a ferritin at 80. Perfect. Megan, let's go. Right. (laughs) But what I'm going to say is like, cool, awesome. But like, I want to see an iron panel. I want to see a complete blood count. Right. So I think this is information that we want to get out there that we don't just want to look at ferritin. We want to look at that entire picture of what's going on there. So it's good to get a CBC, an iron panel, and a ferritin and then have someone help you interpret that to figure out like how does your whole iron status look to help make sure that it's supporting your performance. Yeah, I feel like this is like an equalizer. Like when you get that perfect equalizer set up, the music sounds great. You can hear the vocals, you can hear the high trebles, you can hear the low bass. It all sounds beautiful. And I think that as we move the knobs around, sometimes we don't adjust the other stuff. So it's like if you turn ferritin all the way up, it'd be like turning the bass all the way up, but leaving the treble there. And so you just get thump, 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 and you can't hear the other stuff. So (laughs) I get what you're saying with it. I know from mine, so I think it's actually kind of interesting because Meg and I live in the same house. And we both have a different relationship with ferritin and iron and where I just need a little boost every once in a while. And if I take too much of the iron supplements, my whole system shuts down. Uh, Meg has been amazing in the, in the fact that with a pretty high iron regimen, I'm seeing like, this is like Meg doping almost. It's like, it's that beneficial to her performance, but you know what she does? So she tried the blood builders. And she's like, these are good. But then Mm -hmm. she got the Hemaplex ones or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so immediately I was given her blood builders to take one every other day. And I was like, well, can the Hemaplex thing seem to be working? She goes, no, these are for me. And (laughs) she does not. That's true. We talked about that. There's two things she doesn't share. She doesn't share melatonin and she doesn't share (laughs) Hemaplex. It's like she's kind of. People think she's real sweet and nice, but she's really kind of mean. I feel the same way about it when I'm competing against her. No, I'm just kidding. We're never competing against each other. But yeah, you know, she comes out all sweet and then just smokes the competition. She's just trying to smoke you, Thomas. Or she's listening to my recommendations and you don't need as much iron as she does. <laughs> if you over supplement, there are also negative consequences, right? And aren't they similar mm-hmm. to someone suffering from low iron? Or ferritin levels? Well, I'll yep. tell you what it does to yep. me. Locks up my intestines. <laughs> Nothing's coming out. So for 
for layman's terms is this is actually a good segue because people were asking about what types of iron do you recommend megan and are there some that are better than others um so hemoplex and blood bilder are two big ones right both of those also contain b12 so with like inside tracker panels that i see a lot of athletes coming to me with like their b12 would be through the roof so that's probably not what we want to choose for someone that's b12 is already too high but if somebody has a lower b12 and needs iron those are great options to help with that um, but like you said, Thomas, some types of iron can cause some serious constipation. And that's like the last thing a runner wants, right? Is to feel bloated and heavy. And like, it's so a lot of people who need to be taking iron aren't simply because of the side effects that come with it. So they do make some different types that are a little more gentle on the system. So there's one that, um, it has some heme iron in it, which heme iron is the type of iron from, um, animal, right? So, you, obviously, if you're a vegan, you can't take this one, but it's called Fiazol by Fiera. So it has some of that heme iron in it. So it has like no negative GI impacts just because it's absorbed a little better and you don't have to take quite as much from it. So that's one that I often recommend for people that are complaining of what you are, Thomas. Um, but it is also a lower dose iron. So if we need a heavy hitter, Hemoplex is going to be you know much, much higher in iron for somebody who needs that. Okay. Why does the blood builder one taste like scabs? <laughs> It's the B vitamins that they put in it. And I think, is Blood Builder the one that has some like fruit or vegetable extract yeah. or something yeah. too? I think it does. So there's just like a lot of earthy things going in there. I think beets taste like dirt anyways. All right. So Megan, you got a ton of questions. So I feel like we should just dive into these and then we'll probably go off on some tangents like we always do. But... Okay, this person says, my PCP said my ferritin was 19 and okay. My sports dietitian said it was low. Why the contrast? My physician said it's fine, but is it still possible that it's not ideal? I would say 80% of clients that come to me tell me this exact same thing. So I think a lot of physicians, like if we take a step back, right? And I'm sure there's a lot of amazing sports physicians out there. But if we take a step back from just the regular general practitioner, which could be a nurse practitioner or a doctor, right? We're the healthiest person they're going to see all day, right? Like, honestly, they're dealing with much bigger problems than a runner who wants their ferritin a little higher, right? So like you got to put it in context of who they're seeing coming through their doors. Anyway, so yes, just because your physician's like, oh, you know, you're in a normal range doesn't necessarily mean it's okay because a normal range for women starts at 10. A ferritin of 10 for a female runner, it's in the toilet, right? Like you are not going to be performing well at all with a ferritin of 10 as a female or a male. So yes, it's within the normal range, but we like to see it over 40 for optimal performance for both men and women. Um, oftentimes I see men usually run significantly higher than that, right? So like Thomas was saying, if 70 is normal for a guy, maybe when it gets down to 50, they feel it, right? So part of it is knowing our own trend and where we perform our best. Um, but yes, just because your physician says it's okay doesn't mean that it's necessarily optimal for the running performance that you are trying to get after. How common is it for men to need to supplement iron? It's definitely less common than women, but there still are a lot of male runners that need to be supplementing. And, you know, again, as Thomas was saying, sometimes it's not every day. Sometimes it's just a few days a week. Um, and they usually respond a little bit quickly. And honestly, the biggest thing with that is they just don't have monthly losses, right, of iron. So it's just easier for them to maintain iron levels. And I think a lot of times it's kind of a slow creep into low iron for women over the years. So if men just haven't gotten into that, you know, it's just a little easier for them. Plus, they eat a bigger quantity of food. So they're 
intaking more dietary iron than most women are. But I am hearing it creep up, and I've heard some professional athletes, I think Parker Stinson was one of them, that was... And uh, Nico Montañez. Nico Montañez. They, they found out their iron was low. Some of the factors that Featherston just talked about um, were, you know, some of the things, the diet, how much they are. I'm sure that the exertion that you're doing, how much training you're doing is also going to mm-hmm. lower levels. Because isn't it true that you excrete some blood through your intestines through hard workouts? Mm-hmm. Through your intestines, through your urine, you lose a little bit through your bladder too. Um, foot strike hemolysis. So when our foot hits the ground, we actually destroy red blood cells. You don't notice it, right? But it's enough that we have to then use some of the iron in our body to regenerate those red blood cells. Um, and that obviously decreases or in, sorry, increases our need of how much iron we need to maintain those different levels. So yes, you know, I often have people, and I've told you guys this too, to get your iron levels tested before you're increasing training, right? And then sometimes we even like to look at what happens after a goal marathon. Like, how, where were they? How do, how do they look right now? Um, so yes, you're absolutely correct. We have GI losses. We have um, sweat losses. We lose some iron through sweat. And then also that foot strike hemolysis. So all three of those things apply to anyone who's a runner, male, female, yeah. um, you name it. So it, it would be more beneficial the more active you are to keep an eye on it. Mm-hmm. And other than yep. feeling some fatigue and maybe sluggish, you talked about heavy legs, which I have experienced, uh, you know, just some of those things where you just like, I can't hit the paces I normally can hit and stuff like that. Other than things that are going on like that, what are some symptoms of low iron? So... A lot of times what I see is that people um, get really, really tired during the day. Like they aren't able to maintain normal life activities after training. So sometimes that, those symptoms outside of training can be a red flag for a lot of people. Um, Pale skin is another one, right? Or like pale gums or inside (laughs) your mouth. It's me. (laughs) That's why I'm giggling. I'm like Casper the friendly ghost over here. Um, The other thing would be like increase in resting heart rate or a higher heart rate at... um, different uh intensities right than is normal for your body that's like a huge red flag um for a lot of runners and dizziness difficulty concentrating some those are some of the other ones so i think you might have kind of answered this in the last question but this person said the hematologist and gi doctor cannot find a source for my low ferritin can sweat and foot strike really be the cause they could yeah And I guess just because we have a lot of female listeners, I'm assuming this is female, but maybe it's not. Um, But that's the other thing is thinking through what has changed with your cycle. Like I have a lot of women who have had back-to-back kids and nursed in between and haven't had a cycle for a long time. And now all of a sudden they do. Like those are factors that I'm like, that's probably it, right? (laughs) You know, so we can look into a bunch of different things to figure it out. But I think she brings up a good point that if we really are struggling with low ferritin, um, it could be from excess GI losses, which would need, you know, a consult to go see somebody else. Or if you're really struggling with ferritin, you know, go see a hematologist. There are so many different people we can bring onto our team to help us manage this if it's not as clear cut as take some iron, improve your levels, improve your running, right? Some people do have something else going on um, behind the scenes. So it's good that she looked. Okay. This person said, can I take iron supplements long-term if ferritin remains borderline low? 
Yeah. I mean, I don't see why not. I don't see why we couldn't continue to supplement. Most people need to, right? And one thing we can look at is do we need to supplement when we're in intense training? And then can we like not when we're not training as hard and then pick it back up, right? Like nobody wants to supplement forever. If we have to, we can. But, you know, is there a cadence to when we supplement and when we don't that, you know, works for our own body? But there's no reason you couldn't continually supplement Mm -mm. if you need to. Okay. Nope, not at all. If ferritin is low, uh, is iron supplementation enough? It might be. And I often get the flip side of this question. Like, my ferritin's low. Do I have to supplement? <laughs> and I'm like, we're talking to a runner here who wants their impor- their performance to improve like now. Yes, right. we need to supplement if we want it to come up quickly. Because it just takes so long to get those levels to come up like some people say they start to feel better in two weeks of supplementing some people say four weeks but it can take months to get our levels where they need to be truthfully so and that's with supplementation it's just really hard to get enough iron through our diet when our levels are already low or have been low for a while um just because iron is just so poorly absorbed um, by our body that it really takes a pretty hefty amount to bring those levels back up Okay, so two kind of follow-up questions to that. What are things someone can do if they really just don't want to take a supplement? Like what foods can they take? And then can you tell us what helps with absorption and what doesn't help with absorption of iron? There's Like we were saying, there's two different types of iron. There's heme iron from animals and non-heme iron from plants. So we're actually going to absorb a little bit more from the heme source. So if we really want to get it up fast, that's why we always say, like, go eat red meat or bison. We're going to absorb, like, 15 to 35% of heme iron, where we're only going to absorb, like, 10 to 15% of, like, the plant source, right? So something like red meat, dark meat, right, the white turkey doesn't have iron in it it's dark meat so a lot of us who are choosing like chicken breasts or like white turkey meat aren't getting any iron from that so it's kind of rethinking those types of things oysters actually have the most iron which i don't know how many people are shooting back oysters but um (laughs) that's another one and then as far as like plant-based stuff goes lentils are through the roof in iron obviously beans have some as well dark chocolate like the really dark chocolate like the 90 percent cacao that has a lot of iron in it um apricots pumpkin seeds those are some of like the really really high iron foods so you could try to add some of those things in um and then since we said it is so poorly absorbed like what can help with it i think we've all probably heard vitamin c can help so if we have a lot of people take their iron supplement with orange juice or something like that um i think the supplements you guys take have vitamin c in them already though okay i was gonna ask you because i'm taking them at night do i need to go grab a vitamin c there's vitamin c in I think a lot of them now and at least the two we're taking yeah I think we talked about on another podcast that we found out that alcohol actually yeah (laughs) I didn't make any recommendations there folks (laughs) and then so things that compete for absorption I think this is where I see the most issues is it's become really popular to take magnesium before bed to help with sleep which we'll have to ask a sleep specialist what she thinks oh yeah um and but and then they take their iron at night but those two compete for absorption so like we don't want to do that we do not want to take iron with magnesium or calcium or zinc all of those things are going to compete for absorption so we're going to absorb less of both of them so we really want to make sure we're separating out exactly the plus two valence electrons go back to chemistry there um and then whole grains soy protein you know all the things that we also are getting iron from Okay, how is it written on blood work? This person said there's an iron section, but nothing says ferritin. I love this question. I get this one a lot. 
a lot, a lot, a lot. So taking a step back, when we think of like what someone's going to order, the first thing that like a doctor's going to order is your CBC, which is a complete blood count that's going to have your hemoglobin and your hematocrit on it, right? That's kind of standard that that's what they're going to draw. What's a hematocrit? How much of your blood is made up of red blood cells? So hematocrit is a percentage and hemoglobin is the protein in red blood cells that carries the oxygen. Those are the two things that a doctor's going to draw. And if they look normal, they're going to be like, you don't need anything else done, right? But from a runner's standpoint, hemoglobin and hematocrit are the last things that are going to tank if we have low iron. So like we're already like really in the toilet when those two are affected. So we want to look at what's happening behind the scenes. So that CBC is probably going to be drawn. And then what we want is an iron panel, which I think is what this question is about, right? But the iron panel does not have ferritin on it. The iron panel has percent um, saturation. It has total iron binding capacity. It has serum iron. But then we need to order a third set like piece of this puzzle, which is ferritin. And that's a standalone lab. So it's making sure we have all three of those pieces ordered, which can be a little bit of a pain sometimes. And why I think a lot of these like companies are popping up, they just do it for you, right? Like yeah. Inside Tracker or Quest Direct um, to help with those types of things. Because, you know, to his point, it's not going to be under the iron section. Ferritin is its own lab draw that's going to be by itself. I mean, you know I love my analogies, right? <laughs> no. I feel like when you go to a regular doctor, that's Jiffy Lube. They're making sure that your oil's topped off, you got your wiper fluid, your tire pressure's good, you're good to roll. Whereas if you're running and you're taking this seriously, you need a pit crew. You need that. You're going to come in, zip, zip, zip. They're going to take off your tires. They're going to... Engines constantly being checked. They've got computers, you know, checking everything to make sure everything's running smoothly. That's the difference between going to, say, an inside tracker or working with a nutritionist who understands what the demands are you're making of your body. Your doctor just is, he, he just wants to get people in and out and make sure that they don't have a disease that's going to kill them and are living a healthy lifestyle. Whereas we're trying to, we're trying to fine tune now. We're, we're like, okay, what tires would work best on this track what fuel mix right. is going to work best in this engine jiffy lube if you went and said hey what fuel mix should i put in my car they're going to say gasoline but they're not going to be you know they're not they're not there to to make sure that you're running your optimal you know fitness level they're just there to make sure that you're healthy and and you know the basics are covered so that's the difference you got to make for yourself do you want to go get a physical with your doctor that tells you everything is running according to you don't have any uh engine lights on or do you want to go to uh you know you want to go that next level and figure out these minute details of ferritin or how many carbs you're eating and you know your doctor would never tell you to eat six bagels the day before <laughs> anything <laughs> oopsies <laughs> that's my two senses you're going to the wrong place if you're looking for performance help at your general practitioner yeah. And the one thing that I would add to that, well, obviously there are good doctors out there. I think the system just makes it hard because they have like a 10 minute slot with all their clients or patients, you know. But the other thing is sometimes it's really helpful if you go to your doctor and get those labs drawn because sometimes they're covered by insurance and then bring them to me, <laughs> bring them to somebody else, right? Like sometimes that's a more economical way to do it. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just maybe we need someone else to help us interpret those labs versus like relying on their, like, like Thomas is saying, just baseline healthy data, you know, parameters. Um, but I think that can be pretty helpful for some people to have it done that way. 
Okay, this person said, I have high iron but low ferritin. What gives? This one gives, that's for sure. I see this occasionally, and this is the tricky one, right? And this is where a lot of the time we'll be like, hey, let's talk to a doctor about this. Or let's talk to a hematologist about this if it's really skewy. Because like we were saying before, it is possible for our iron levels to be too high, which can be dangerous, right? We don't want our transferrin saturation percentage to be too high. So if somebody is off the charts there, but their ferritin is still low, we do not want to continually throw more iron at that. That's not a safe situation, right? So is it just you that in ha- your ferritin's low, but everything else is okay? And we're okay with that, right? So then we put, we layer in your performance. Like, how is your performance? How are you recovering? How are your heart rate? You know, and there's like factors that we pair with this information because sometimes it is wacky. I see it, you know, and this is where sometimes I'm stumped too. Like, I really don't know, right? Why things look the way they do. And then I had one client recently that we figured out she was dehydrated. So some of her labs looked falsely high and they weren't. So I'm like, all right, let's get hydrated. Let's get back to the drawing board. Let's get this done again, you know? So sometimes it's things like that. Um, But, you know, that's where we want to pull in more factors and it's just not going to be quite as cut and dry um, as some people's labs would be. So it's interesting you brought up being dehydrated affecting your labs. I mean, are there things... Like, when should you go get these labs done? Like, is there an optimal time? Because you don't want to be, like, getting these erroneous information back because mm-hmm. you were super dehydrated. Or, or too you, close to marathon. Yeah, or you just ran a race mm-hmm. the day before. Or or maybe that is a good time. Like, what is a good time? I think this is the hardest part about it, is the timing of when we're going to get these labs drawn and why I haven't gotten mine drawn recently <laughs> because the timing piece of it is so hard sometimes, right? Because we're supposed to be fasted. I've got kids in the morning. I got to get to school. I can't fast till after. You know what I mean? Like when we're really thinking about like the timing of some of it. But as far as like how do we get the most accurate results from the lab, we don't want it to be within like 48 hours of a long run or a really hard workout because like we said, that's going to falsely elevate that ferritin from the stress. We don't want to do it if we're sick. We don't want to do it like within the, you know, week after a really hard race. Um... So we would try to find like a rest day within our week that we just had a couple easy runs the day beforehand. I think that would be ideal and do it in the morning. But yes, we want to make sure that we're going in very well hydrated to this lab because I have seen quite a few skewy things lately that I think 100% were related to being dehydrated. Do athletes need higher ferritin than someone who does not exercise? Yes. We do. Absolutely. And I think that goes back to those. It's like a crazy range of what's normal, right? It's like 10 to 180, you know? So whereas a regular human might be fine at 15, a runner's not going to be. So yeah, we want it to be a little bit higher. But it's not necessarily like a higher is better thing with ferritin. Like if 40 is good, it doesn't mean 80 is better. You know, like honestly, a lot of it is going to be like getting to a level that it's maintainable for you and you feel like your fitness is great. And we just use that 40 as kind of a threshold of about where we want it. But I do have some people we can't get above 35 and they're doing awesome. So we just, 35 is their number, you know, like 40 isn't, 100% for everybody all the time. Um, Like we said with Thomas, his was a little bit higher where we like to keep him. So a lot of it's personal. This episode of Fuel for the Soul is sponsored by Inside Tracker. We all use Inside Tracker to check our general health through training and to make sure we're set up for success come race day. Thomas, give everyone a little more information about Inside Tracker. All right. Inside Tracker is a personalized nutrition platform that uses blood work to create a science-backed plan to help you reach your potential for better performance 
and a longer, healthier life. You can learn more about the product by going to InsideTracker.com. And for a limited time, InsideTracker is offering our listeners 20% off their entire store. Just go to InsideTracker.com slash fuel. Is there a genetic tie to low ferritin? This is a really good question that I don't have a 100% answer to. Um, Why does it matter? I think part of it is... <laughs> Because I think some people are like, well, do I just genetically have a low ferritin? And no matter what I do, it's just going to be a little bit low, right? Yeah. And then it's a really good like reason to be okay with where it's at, I think, is where this person's probably getting. Um, but the thing is, is like genetics, right? We need to understand like family members and it, like checking ferritin. I'm sure my mom and dad have never had their ferritin checked. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. it's like, mom, do you have a low ferritin? Do you have a history of it? You know, so it's kind of hard to necessarily know what that looks like. Okay, supplements that you would recommend, Megan. I think you mentioned a few, but let's go mm -hmm. down the list. Yeah, I would say the most popular ones are biggest dose Hemoplex, a little bit less iron needed Blood Builder, sensitive stomach, constipation issues, Fiasol by Fiera, and then just our normal is just like a ferrous sulfate. Right. So there's kind of just a tier of, of different things people can take. But find something that works. There's so many options out there of iron. don't just not take it if you need it. You know, find something that works. There's gummy iron. I tried that one time because I wasn't taking my iron. It tasted like metal. I don't recommend it. OK, this person said, to do more. I hate blood work. Is there a downside to adding a supplement or do I need to get tested? I'm hemming and hawing over here. I. I think we need tested. I don't think we should be shooting in the dark that we have low iron. That said, for someone who has had low iron and knows what it feels like, when they get into a place where they're like, crap, it's low again, and we start taking it before we get labs drawn, I would be okay with that, right? But somebody who has no clue what their iron labs look like, and they're like, Oh, every, like Thomas, everybody's doing it. I'm going to take it or I'm going to take more. Um, no, no, I, I don't think that's a good idea because like we just said, we can overdose on iron. We can get too much, which I have actually seen quite a few times. And granted, I've seen hundreds more athletes with low iron, but I have seen a handful or two of people with high iron. So, you know, it happens. It's just not as often. I mean, for me, I didn't know, like we've gone through this and we had, and I think the good thing about testing was, uh, especially for iron, like I, my iron levels come back high. So it doesn't look like there's a problem. But when I was like going through another period where I was like, wow, I just don't, I can't hit paces. I can't, I just feel like I'm slogging, you know, feathers went through two different blood tests that she had. And she said, okay, here's after the one marathon where you did crappy. And here we are again. And your levels, while they look, would look high to most people, you know, you, you, when you're operating at the best, it's, it was like maybe 10, 10 points higher or something like that. You're a really good example that like, if we just looked at ferritin, we would have been like, you're fine. You're totally fine. Right. But with you, it was that transferrin saturation that normal is like 18 to 50. And when you were doing your best, you were in the forties and the two different marathons that you felt crappy, you were down to 20. Right. So like that was the low range of where that saturation should have been. And when you feel your best, you were at the higher end of the range. So that was the only thing that made sense out of your lab work from how you were feeling. And so we changed it, you know. So a lot of times it's really helpful to have the whole picture here to watch. And while I take it every other day, I try to take it the night before a hard session 
I make sure I have my iron because I think it absorbs that. That's quick. not, I'm not that's sure. not how it works. I'm it, fairly certain. I, I Megan, don't know. tell me tell if me I'm, wrong. I'm wrong. But psychologically, <laughs> it works. But if it reminds you to take it, I know what yeah. he means. It's like crap. I haven't taken my iron, you know. And if it reminds you to take it because you have a bigger session coming up, I think that's fine. But yeah, I don't think it'll happen that quick. <laughs> Um, someone similar to like Thomas was just saying, he said when, or she, when my ferritin decreases, even within normal levels, I feel wiped out. Why? 100 to 60. And if this, I'm going to assume this is probably a guy because yeah. most females ferritin never gets to a hundred. Um, so probably your normal is higher, right? So 60 to you would feel like me going from 40 to 10, you know? So it's a storage form of iron, too. So the one thing to remember is when our ferritin starts to tank, it's because something else has been needing that iron and using that iron, right? So, like, sometimes when we see a ferritin drop, we can catch some impending <laughs> iron deficiency earlier, right? So maybe things are starting to cascade, so you're starting to feel that and we're catching it early, whereas maybe it would have bottomed out, you know, if we hadn't have intervened when we did. Okay, this woman said, I have a heavy menstrual flow. Should I supplement just during my period? There was some research that looked at that and they found that it was helpful to supplement at that time. However, if you're a runner and you have a heavy menstrual cycle and you're training really hard, you probably need more iron than just five days a month. But again, we'd want lab work behind that to kind of back that up. Can you train for a marathon when your ferritin is low? Yeah, you can. It just is going to suck. It's going to suck so bad. A lot, I'm not a running coach, but a lot of running coaches will scale back intensity and mileage until ferritin comes back up. And I do think that that's smart. I do. Um, I think when we look at the whole host of overtraining, if our ferritin is low, our likelihood of putting ourselves into like a risk of overtraining is so much higher, right? Because our body is having to work harder. It has higher perceived exertion. So if we're trying to like build intensity and build volume, we don't have the oxygen there getting to our muscles. It's a bigger strain on our body. So I think we do need to be careful. But again, I don't think it's like across the board. If your ferritin is X, don't train. There's so much personal variability within it I think it's just good to know like where is our threshold of like no that's not where my ferritin should be I need to chill for a moment until I get it back up versus just an arbitrary number how unreliable is it to get tested when you're injured so actually I think it would be a good idea right to see like do we have some blaring deficiencies here um that we need to address so like we said ferritin is falsely elevated with too much stress illness or overtraining so we'd want to make sure that if you're injured we've taken some downtime there isn't as much stress right we haven't had training stress in a couple weeks and then get them tested to see where they're at and our last question can ferritin be too high it sure can so a lot of times i mean there is a rare genetic condition called hemochromatosis where people hang on to too much iron and their ferritin is like 200 and their percent saturation is like 70 you know so that's very dangerous it can cause heart issues it can damage different organs because there's too much iron in our body right so it absolutely can be too high i have seen athletes more is better, right? Over supplementing and getting all of their numbers too high as well, which can also be dangerous. So um, we definitely want to be cognizant of this, right? Um, and just make sure that we're supplementing appropriately. Um, because like we said at the beginning, if we have too high of a ferritin or our iron is too high, um, we're tired. We don't have a ton of energy. Um, 
we have joint pain, like a lot of things, like we're training too much, you know what I mean? So it's kind of hard um, to always blame that. I've actually had people have symptoms that they thought were low iron that was actually high iron, and then they started supplementing more, and then they get themselves in a not-so-great situation. So it's just a good idea to have those labs instead of blindly supplementing. Okay, so let's say someone does not know their ferritin or iron levels at all. Um, obviously, they can go to someone like Inside Tracker that will have the full panel and give you all the insights. But if they want to go to their physician, what are the tests they need to ask for? We'd want to get a CBC, complete blood count, an iron panel, and a ferritin. So all three of those things. Like if somebody's coming to me, those are the things I want to see. So those would be the things to ask for. And then generally for runners, male and female, what is the range we're looking for for a, for a performance benefit for ferritin? We think it's about over 40, but the research on performance and ferritin is awful because think of all the factors that impact performance, right? We talk about them on here all the time, so it's kind of hard to weed it out, but what we're thinking is like over 40. Awesome. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in this week. If you have a question that we have not answered, you can send us a message. You can go to anchor.fm, search for Fuel for the Soul. Send us an audio message over there or email us at fuelforthesoulpodcast at gmail.com. All right. Hey, wait. You know what's good? You know what's cool? We get to see each other in, in by the time <gasps> this podcast is out, we'll have seen each other again. True. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. We're running the Bronx. It. So we just ran the Bronx. It was amazing. Our iron levels were terrific. Uh, it was a really fun day. We did it 20 something miles. Yeah. yeah. Can you say goodbye? All right. Peas and carrots. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>
Tuesday night, we're going to find out if, what are their names? I have a question that hasn't been answered. Why wouldn't you watch sci-fi? <laughs> <laughs> He's such a child. <laughs>